Hi, this is Cliff for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is another dialogue tape. I'm sitting, we're sitting up in not quite an alpine meadow, but a montane meadow, a mid-altitude meadow. It's about the middle of May. Things are just beginning to green up. We're sitting next to a small montane alpine snowmelt stream. Let's see what it sounds like. I can almost touch it, that's how close it is. It's only a meter or two across. It's flowing swift and pure. And it's a place I call Manhattan because it's a peninsula, almost an island, a great bend in our little river, our little creek. And what holds it down at its narrowest point as it pushes out into the water is a twin balsam poplar, very beautiful, young, still um, green, shiny uh, bark in places. In contrast to just on the other side of the meadow, which gets more morning-afternoon sunlight, this poplar, or cottonwood, I should say, uh, its buds aren't quite about opening yet. So there is still tightly packed, about a centimeter and a half, sharp pencil shape. And of course it gets its name from the uh, healing ethereal uh, fragrance, the healing essence of its resin thick in the buds. It's a taste, somewhat uh, bitter and soapy, that's said um, to be purifying, especially this time of year, so I always take a nibble or two. But it's very strong, so beware. And it's not harmful in any way, but it's very strong medicine. And if you try it, you'll never forget it. It's very strong. But anyway, uh, the dialogue uh, tape uh, theme I wanted to go into is about stimuli, to use an Alexander, old-fashioned word, Alexander technique, stimuli, a stimulus, or plural stimuli, which triggers mechanical behavior of any kind. So a reaction, a knee-jerk like a reaction that uh, essentially answers violence, subtle forms of violence, with uh, our own violence. So you fire back. Like someone says something derisive and you fire back with an equally derisive comment. Well, to set the tone, there's uh, a favorite saying of F.M. Alexander of mine. How does it go? You're not here to do exercises or to learn to do something right, 
So we're not taking yoga lessons. It's the complement of yoga. You're not here to do exercises or to learn to do something right, but to get able to meet a stimulus that always puts you wrong and to learn to deal with it. A stimulus that always puts you wrong and to learn to deal with it. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of stimuli <laughs> that will invariably, that we have as a kind of self-conditioning, a habitual thing that's deep, that uh, something will happen that always puts you wrong. So let that sink in. What are your own stimuli? Listen to the water a second. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. There's a hunter's road nearby, so I hear the sound of what I call a blubber butt, a hydrocarbon man four-wheeler. If you're in the Alps, then they're still quite rare, but here they totally, like spotted knapweed, have taken over the landscape. So there's some season abroad where hydrocarbon men with elephant guns people the landscape and are taking pot shots at bears. So beware, we're sitting low and hoping for the best. So what are your own stimuli? Well, the most important point Perhaps the only point is that uh, the content makes absolutely no difference. Once we draw the circle wider and generalize it, it's about the fact that it elicits a mechanical dis uh, a reaction in ourselves. Now many things can be said about that. First is that there is there a difference between an outward stimulus, say like that uh, blubber butt that we probably didn't quite hear on the tape, but it's a it's a low hum. The hunters are so naive they'll take it in low gear and try to rumble through the low frequency landscape thinking that the bear is so stupid it wouldn't hear them from 15 miles away, but that's a stimulus. So I can react to that as saying like a, a stalwart environmentalist and think, pull out my anti-signs. There actually is a sign that the Forest Service uses that they're prohibited. I wish they were everywhere. And well, and I become aggressive towards the people driving the vehicle, frequently just little kids, because of all the noise, the pollution, so against the spirit of wilderness. You can think of many reasons. So, 
It makes no difference, the content. It's a reaction. But you have, as Krishnamurti said, that I think is very profoundly true. You have the fact and the reaction to the fact. And they're independent. It's coming, although he wasn't doing that, it's coming out of the karma yoga. Do you react to something or are you supremely indifferent without projecting it? So someone calls you an environmentalist snowflake and you say, what? You react immediately to their insult. Well, you have the fact of the insult and then you have the reaction. So what Alexander, and it's interesting that Krishnamurti and Alexander are identical here. That's frequently the case. That... Um, there's no need to react whatsoever. Why? Because reaction, when mechanical, is always, invariably, a waste of energy, a waste of intelligence, and is therefore, in a way, can be very subtle, uh, self-destructive. It's remarkable, isn't it? The constant flow of the water. That sound. And don't forget, it's a good 100% coming from snow melt right now. So if we were dialoguing on climate and um, receded at 14, 20 meters and the snow's coming all the way from 2000 and there's a, a fairly uh, top-heavy, fairly decent snowpack up there to 2000, be about a meter, meter and a half. And it's recently been unseasonably jet stream, new jet stream cold, polar air coming down. So the snow's melting very slowly this year. And uh, the greening up of vernal spring and the ephemeral wildflowers is very stuttering, chaotic, broken up rhythm this year too. But to stick with our theme, a stimulus that always puts you wrong and to learn to deal with it. Well, there it is. It, so you have the outward stimulus now, I'd like to suggest that there's also the inward stimulus being generated by thought itself, by mechanical consciousness itself. That, I can be seated here under my beautiful balsam cottonwood and still have stimuli that are putting me wrong, although I'm totally alone in relatively uh, untouched, pristine, and certainly extraordinarily beautiful nature. Think of that. That's when meditation and self-awareness and what David Bohm called proprioception they're really all the same. 
uh, becomes uh, serious business. I said, good God, I'm causing this myself. But who is I? What, what part of me is causing this uh, stimulus that's putting me wrong in a mechanical way, in a self-destructive way? So meditation, proprioception, self-awareness, all being one thing. So it's like we're watching the creek, the flow patterns of the creek, and listening to the sound. And we watch our thoughts alone and together in dialogue. That's basically the essence of what I'm calling dialogue. So you're watching it, but not trying to change anything. That's the difference between the projection of peaceful meditation and the real practice of nonviolent meditation. You're simply watching without trying to change anything, without assuming some ideal state. simply watching the water flow. Well, a disturbance in that flow would be one of these stimuli. Now, I'll give you a recent example. Say that, um, we'll take somebody like Cliff, like me. I'm walking the land and, and you're questioning hydrocarbon man, you're questioning beefsteak culture and its relationship to climate crisis. So say you're a meat eater, and say even better, you're a meat eater that's a rancher, and you know that Cliff is questioning what's the very essence of your existence. Well, it's not hard to see it from the other point of view. You feel attacked, that the very essence of your existence is under attack. They don't see the difference between question and attack, that it's an offer, it's a nonviolent dialogue, but it's just an attack. So they'll have a mechanical reaction of their own and fire right back from the hip. But that's basically the rough language reflects directly the roughness of the energy. Because it's meant deliberately to cause pain. Um, many of our uh, relational interactions of any day, anywhere, anywhere on planet Earth with each other are meant to cause the other pain in a subtle way but still pain nonetheless. So they fire back. So I have lots of opportunity to observe my own reactions to physical assaults and derision and uh, attacks of every description and kind. Doing what I do, just walking the land and writing and talking about it, making photos, composing music and whatnot. So th those cultures will uh, be against everything you think, say, and do. So what's right action? Well, clarity for one, 
which comes from the meditation, the self-awareness, the proprioception. So you're watching without trying to change it, like this little creek. Well, there's a little turbulence there. What's causing that? Ah, so I'll be s sitting under my balsam cottonwood. I almost said poplar again. Populus, that's why. Populus trisocarpa is its botanical name. It's a magnificent signature broadleaf tree. There are only two broadleafs of stature here. We're not insulting the riparian deciduous trees, but it's the poplar, very closely related. Populus tremoloides, and this is Populus trisocarpa. Beautiful names. And they can rise to a height of some 25 meters or so and have a, a diameter of more than a meter, even at this altitude. And they are water-loving trees, so they're invariably growing close to uh, continuously uh, uh, wet but not soggy soil. Magnificent trees. So there's our stimulus that puts us wrong, but we've seen it, right? So there's no reaction. I go to buy a bag of potato chips, heaven forbid, but then the uh, store caretaker cake <laughs> will insult you about something, and you see that, um, you see it outside of time, in a way. So there's no reaction. I was speaking with a Tai Chi teacher, a close friend of mine, and we were talking about these reactions. And once it does, you do have a reaction that is invariably, most likely, although I'm not the one to ask about that, but it's an intuition, a change in hormonal state. And that, of course, would be different with male and female and that your uh, flight or fight and all the different kind of testosterone uh, things that males have to deal with specifically is challenged. And it's uh, a complete lack of intelligence if you look at it from the wider perspective of dialogue. But then if you go into it, you can try to control it. That would be projecting the the image of being peaceful. <laughs> I'm not going to react. So you're trembling and ready to pull out your thorns and arrows and guns and attack the adversary, but you're not going to do anything. Well, that's not what we're talking about. It's already far too late. Better, certainly, ethically. But that's uh, not what we're looking at. That's not what Alexander is talking about. That's not what Krishnamurti is talking about the fact and the reaction to the fact, the stimulus that always puts you wrong. And boy, oh boy, there are a lot of stimuli out there that are putting us wrong. 
That I think is self-evidently true. So we got the outward stimulus pretty clear, right? Attack, we neutralize the counterattack through insight, awareness. There's no reaction and no control. If there's control, there's already been reaction. So it's very interesting and very arduous. And it's a part of meditation that slows down that wheel of thought. Just being out here slows down that wheel of mechanical thought, which is nothing else than one reaction generating a chain of reactions. There you have it. A chain of reactions that goes on and on in a self-grinding friction. A self-grinding destruction of energy, really. So, we want to be free of that. That's an intention. We want to liberate ourselves from that mechanical grind. But now the inward, we got the outward, that's clear. And what's fun in a dialogue, talking circle, is to do it together. Just to be clear, we're sitting out here. Um, I was talking to some people the other day. This is not what some people have called Bohmian dialogue, with all due respect to the great David Bohm. And of course, I'm always working on his work and inspired by his work. But I think that uh, K in Bohm, Krishnamurti in Bohm, made a number of crucial, essential mistakes, with all due respect, even in the greatness of their own dialogue, both alone and together. Probably the greatest of all time, in my view. Uh, we can go in that, into that another time. But one of the key th mistakes they made is the wider circle of nature, inviting the wider circle of nature into the community of dialogue that we're doing right here, right now. So we're constantly watching our relationship with the flowing living earth. And in the same spirit, it's fun without trying to change anything, simply watching. So that means uh, a radical kind of non-attachment. If you're invo um, involved with any kind of uh, organized self-deception, uh, with some kind called organized religion, then that's impossible, of course, because even if you're Buddhist, you're still going to be holding on to tenets, views, paths, um, examples, whatever. So free-flowing water knows nothing of that. And free-flowing consciousness knows nothing of that. In our point of departure, we're setting out on a journey that says that the water and the consciousness aren't similar, they're identical in some deep, mysterious way. So Krishnamurti, the fact and the reaction. So 
now inward Alexander stimulus. So now it's not an outward stimulus, but it's a self-generated. So I form an image of this meat eater, rancher, I have many friends under that cat in that category, that feels attack simply by your presence. And I'm reminded of the great legend whether it's true or not, I'm not quite sure, but I can easily imagine it, that Pythagoras was ostracized, banned by uh, um, pre-Socratic Athens, or Greece, and that's one of the reasons that he fled to the south of uh, the heel of the boot of Italy, is because of, think, it, think of it, vegetarianism, let alone I don't know if they had the concept of vegan entirely avoiding animal protein. Well, our rancher meteor friend is internalized and, and then I'll have an image. It could be in the middle of the night. You'll wake in a start and you'll see this person or this group of people attacking you. Now, where does that come from? And where does our own reaction come from? Our own reaction isn't complicated. It's uncomplicated. It's simply a, a, a reaction of thought. That this, if there's awareness, it doesn't happen. But where does that image come from? It's some sort of, I'm just thinking out loud because I don't understand it. So that's what the dialogue is about, is to try to come together to some understanding that uh, just dissipates the energy. It just poof, it's just gone. It must come from this deeper, what I've called the brutish brain the beer in Cliff, that uh, it's good, right, and proper that we are protect the self as a physical being. You have to take care of the body, and out here in the wilderness there are threats of varying degrees all around us. So we are cognizant, ever prepared, a lot of training involved, all the rest of it. Well, that's good and proper. That's the brutish brain at its best. But when that kind of protection of an illusory, protection of the self becomes more subtle in the psychic, spiritual realm, that becomes illusion, right? That's the Buddhist insight that that self is just pure illusion. Identifying with an idea, like Buddhism. And then when your idea, the Buddhism or communism or whatever ism is attacked, you feel attacked. That's where that self, that same mechanism comes into an area where it's not only not reasonable and right, but it's self-destructive. Well, there you have it. That's what I've been 
meditating upon this morning. A stimulus that always puts you wrong, outward and inward, and the only difference is the degree of subtlety, the fact and the reaction to the fact. Krishnamurti, that's absolutely brilliant. just as clear as this mountain water. So the fun part is that the dialogue never stops, alone and together. Looking up at the clouds, oh, may the gods help us, this new jet stream. I'm down here doing photography field work and writing and running up and down the rivers, but in a small band with only a few hundred meters of altitude, a few degrees of climate. This new jet stream with these broad meanders that no one has ever seen before, caused by a lack of difference between the temperature of the equator, that's your belly button, in the top of your head, that's the North Pole. So the jet stream is slowing down, losing energy, making broad meanders, even breaking apart, even dipping below the equator. And if you're on the upside, the north side of a meander, you get all this unseasonably polar air coming down. And if you're living out 24-7, you'll see it. It's cold. And all the other creatures around me say, it's cold. And if you're on the south side of the dip, it's unseasonably hot. So we've been oscillating back and forth between the two, too hot, too cold. Trying to figure it out. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff, signing off for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for listening.